to continue today in a series that we've been in called Amazing Grace, and I just pray that you've been growing in your understanding of what grace is. Uh, these last two weekends, uh, my family, we were away down at Myrtle Beach enjoying some grace on the beach and uh, getting refreshed, and uh, I'm just so thankful uh, today for Pastor Floyd and Pastor Sal, amen, just sharing the message these last two weeks, just faithful uh, servants of the Lord, and so I'm blessed that uh, when I go away, I know things are in good hands, amen, and uh, God is speaking. And so I want to continue to talk on grace this morning because I believe in order to live this Christian life, we, we need to understand and we need to lean into the grace of God, and we also need to extend that grace to others, amen? We talked weeks one and two about saving grace, and really Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, great verse to memorize, if you're going to memorize, it's such a key passage for us, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, it's not a result of works, so that no one may boast, and then I love verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I love that. The, the works are already prepared. We just need to walk in what God has laid out before us. And I love these verses, again, because it tells us it is by grace that we have been saved. Again, grace is when we receive something that we did not earn, right? We're saved from sin and death. We are saved from eternity in hell. How? By grace through faith. In other words, we did not earn our salvation. Paul says clearly that this salvation is not of ourselves, but rather it is the gift of God to us. We can't earn our salvation by our works. We can't boast about it when we have it because, again, it's the gift of God. Now, Pastor Sal made it very clear in his message two weeks ago that when we are saved, it leads to a changed life, right? Like when we truly submit our lives to Christ, when we're born again by the Spirit of God, that God's Spirit produces fruit in our lives. I, I love this quote by Max Lucado. It's in your notes. Hopefully you have those and follow along with us. But Max Lucado says this, Grace is the voice that calls us to change and then gives us the power to pull it off. I love that. Grace doesn't only call us to change, but it's God's grace, the power of God's grace, that actually causes us to live differently. But again, the fruit that is produced in our lives by the Holy Spirit is not what saves us. It is rather an evidence of our salvation. Now, when you preach grace or you talk about grace a lot, there are a lot of people that will, will push back on this and say, well, there's certainly something that I've got to do, right, to, to make myself right and to, to almost earn righteousness, right? There's this idea of works righteousness. There's got to be something that I do to merit salvation. And they'll quote like James 2.26, right, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works, right? But the reformers used this term, it was called sola fide, and it's justification by faith alone. Those are the words, right? By faith alone. It's on the basis of faith that we as believers are made right of our transgressions rather than on the basis of good works, which we have done. And so grace produces faith, and that faith equals righteousness. 
Now, but you say, well, Pastor, you just quoted James. It says works is in there, right? And, and here's the reality. Oftentimes, people put works on the wrong side of the equation. They think it's faith and works that equals righteousness, when the reality is it's faith that equals righteousness plus works, right? When I'm saved, when the righteousness of Christ comes into my life, all of a sudden I begin to live differently. By faith in the work of Christ, we are made righteous, and we're given the gift of the Holy Spirit that produces good works. But again, remember, all of this, it starts with grace. By grace, we're given the faith to believe in Christ. The faith that that saves us and that salvation produces good works. And and so Pastor Floyd spoke last week about justifying grace, also sanctifying grace, right? By the grace of God, we are set apart for the purposes of God. We're set apart for good works that he prepared again in advance that we should walk in them. And I love how Pastor Floyd shared last week, it's the grace of God can save us, but only if we respond to it. And the grace of God can sustain us, but only if we trust it. And the grace of God can sanctify us, but only if we surrender to it. Now, when we use that word grace, understand this, grace is a dirty word for the devil. He doesn't like that word grace. Because really, grace is the power behind the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not creed, it's not philosophy, it's not religion. Our gospel is a gospel of grace, amen? Grace is the the wonder of the gospel. That God would pursue somebody like me. Ever feel like that? Like, who am I that God would pursue me? Grace is the distinction of the gospel. No other religion in the world is based upon a concept like grace. Again, grace is God's favor that is unearned, undeserved, and I would say this, it's unrepayable. We can't pay him back for grace. You say, Pastor, why are we spending so much time talking about grace? Why is grace in the name of our church? Because this concept is the key to the entirety of the New Testament. And, And far too often, again, we limit grace to the work of salvation in our lives, but grace is actually power for our lives. 2 Timothy 2, 1, it says, Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 4.10, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. 2 Peter 3.18 tells us to grow in grace. And here's the reality. Satan would love for you to leave the grace of God at the altar of salvation. Uh, Just leave it there. You're saved by grace, but it stays there. But God's grace only starts there at the altar of salvation. And from that place, his grace continues to enable and to enrich our lives. Again, the devil would love to tell you, man, after salvation, you're on your own. Sure, grace saved you, but now you've got to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You've got to make it on your own strength. But again, God's grace is God's undeserved favor in our lives. I want to take you to a story today in the life of David. I had the privilege uh, of hearing my father preach for 40 years, and I know he went to this story many times. This is one of his favorites. 2 Samuel chapter 9, if you want to turn there. 2 Samuel chapter 9, as you turn there, let me give you some context here. In the story, David has finally been anointed as the king of Israel. He's finally uh, seated on the throne. And he has just subdued his greatest enemies, the Philistines, the Moabites, and the Syrians, right? And as he's sitting in his palace, I can only imagine that he's thinking back over his past. He's 
thinking about how he used to be in the fields with the sheep, but now here he is, sitting on the throne. And at this point in his life, I have no doubt that he is completely overtaken by the wonder of God's grace in his life. You ever been there? You just look at your life and say, man, it's God's grace. It's by the grace of God that I, I am where I am, and God has blessed me the way he's blessed me. It's only God's grace. And, and so in this place where he's the recipient of God's grace, he begins to look for a way that he can demonstrate the grace of God to someone that was just as unworthy as he was. You see, God's grace in our lives, when properly understood, will always overflow to others. You see, when we recognize and we live into grace, we will, I believe, it's become a people of grace. We will extend grace to others. And here's the reality. Wherever you're lacking in grace, I would say you, you haven't really understood fully God's grace. We will extend grace to others when we understand God's grace to us. Second Samuel chapter 9, are you there? Three of you. Second Samuel chapter 9. Beginning at verse 1. And David said this. Is there anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David and he said, and, and the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show kindness, the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And, and Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Maker, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant. He said to him, All that belong to Saul and to his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall... Bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have, eat, may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servants, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table. Listen to this, like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. May God bless the reading of his word. What a powerful story, right? And, and what a beautiful picture of what grace really is. But I, I want to tell you today, there, there's a deeper story than just what we're reading here. And, and I believe it's this. It's a story of God's grace toward us. 
See, we often wonder where we can find grace in the world, right? But, but when it comes to God's grace, understand this, grace will find you first. We go out looking for grace, but understand grace will find you first. David asked this, he said, is there not someone of the house of Saul that I might show kindness, the kindness of God to him? Understand, nothing forced David to seek out Mephibosheth. Nobody pressured him. Nobody told him, David, you really should do something. But there was something in David that moved him to reach out in an act of kindness. And in the same way, God does not owe us anything good. Oh, he does owe us. He does owe us. He owes each of us divine justice, holy wrath, and eternal punishment. And this is why grace is such a, a wonderful surprise, right? God has not treated us as we deserve. Instead, he has reached out with sparing mercy and saving grace and steadfast love. Ephesians 2, back there in chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. I love the fact. David doesn't say, is there someone that I can show my kindness to, right? He recognizes that it's God's kindness that flows through him. Understand this so that the grace begins in the throne room, okay? And, and it's not David's throne room, it's the throne room of heaven. Grace flows from the throne room of God, and it finds us, and just like Mephibosheth, before we were even aware of grace, it already began seeking us out. While we were yet in sin, while we were sinners, he loved us and he sought us out. And understand this today, God's grace remembers us. God's grace remembers us. Here's a man who was forgotten by his nation. He was abandoned by his family. There was no reason whatsoever to remember the name of Mephibosheth. But out of God's grace, David remembered this crippled man. And it's amazing because as, as soon as David asked if there's a son of the house of Saul, Ziba's quick to point out, yeah, there is, but he's crippled. In other words, David, leave him alone, right? He's going to be no trouble to you. Just leave him alone. Because often in those times, if there was a new dynasty or a new family risen to the throne, they would take out the other ones, right? And so he's saying, he's, he's no threat to you, David. Don't bother with him. See, the servant was quick to point out Mephibosheth was crippled, as if that would turn David's heart away. But David was not looking for what he could get out of Mephibosheth. The servant said, yeah, he's crippled. There's no use for him. But David is motivated by pure grace. God's motivation to reach you and I is not for what he can get out of us. It's pure grace. And understand this today, God's grace pursues us. God's grace pursues us. God's grace will go wherever you are. Mephibosheth is in a place called Lodabar. And if you're following in the note sheet, Lodabar means this. It means no pasture. What a place to live, right? What do you like to live in a place like that? It was a, a barren place. It was a destitute place. It was a hiding place. It, we don't know much about Lodabar, but scholars agree that its name was meant to indicate it was barren, it was unfruitful, it was, it was a terrible place. Think of the one place you would want to live, that was Lodabar, right? And Mephibosheth was crippled. He's a crippled man from a fallen dynasty living in a horrible and 
environment, and yet David reaches out to him in kindness. Verse 5 says that David sent for Mephibosheth, and he brought him from Lodabar. He brought him from a destitute place into the throne. That's what grace does for us. Understand today, grace, the grace of God, reaches out to us in spite of us. And, and often the grace of God finds us in destitute places. If you don't believe me, just ask the prodigal son. Grace found him in a pig pen, right, and brought him home. Just ask Joseph. Grace found him in a pit that was dug for him by his brothers, and it lifted him to the second in command of all of Egypt. Just ask Rahab the prostitute. Grace found her in a brothel in an enemy city. Ask the Samaritan woman. Grace found her in a well in the middle of the day. And, and, and like David, understand this, God sends out messengers of grace. You and I ought to be messengers of the grace of God to a world that so is in need of grace today. And no matter where you may be today, I want to tell you, grace can find you there, and grace can change your life. Understand this, God's grace also carries us. God's grace carries us. Such a powerful picture here with Mephibosheth, okay? Because couldn't carry himself. He couldn't reach David if he had to, and so David sent men to carry him. And the truth is God's grace is dependent upon his ability and not mine. And so when you feel like you can't walk any further, I want to just say, let his grace carry you. When you feel like you can't believe anymore, let his grace carry you. When you feel like you're just too weak, let his grace carry you. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, another great verse to, to remember here. Paul says this. He says, "My God says to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Understand this about grace. Here's the next point. Grace is where you abandon your crippled past. David had called Mephibosheth. He extended grace to him. But it was really up to Mephibosheth to respond to that grace. Can you imagine the sense of terror that must have consumed Mephibosheth when he heard, man, King David's looking for you, Mephibosheth. Can you imagine? He, he must have been terrified. He, he probably thought, man, I'm going to be tortured, I'm going to be executed. That's, that's what's ahead of me. And, and there was absolutely nothing he could do uh, about whatever was going to happen to him. But imagine his surprise when King David said to him, don't fear. I, I want to show you kindness. David's kindness removed Mephibosheth's fear. And God's grace ought to do the same for us. We ought to be able to, to sing confidently, right? Like the psalmist says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I heard a story that one day uh, President Thomas Jefferson was riding on horseback across the country when he and his companions came to this swollen river. And at the edge of that river, there was a, a traveler who was trying to get across, but he didn't know how to. And so he asked President Jefferson if he could jump on the horse with him. And so he jumped on the horse with Jefferson and he got to the other side. And on the other side, one of the people in the group said, why didn't you ask the president for that favor. And he said, oh man, the president, I didn't know he was the president. 
And he said this, all I know is on some of the faces is written the answer no, and on some of the faces is written the answer yes, and he was a yes face. (laughs) Isn't that a good definition of grace, though? Grace is the smiling face of God to us. It communicates acceptance, approval, affirmation. God's grace means that we don't have to fear judgment and wrath and the condemnation of God. John 10, 28, Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Praise God that when we lean into the grace of God and we receive the grace of God in our lives, we don't need to fear death or hell or the grave, right? That holds no no power over us anymore. I, I love the words of the old hymn, What have I to dread? What have I to fear? I'm leaning on the everlasting arms. I have perfect peace with my Lord so near. I'm leaning on the everlasting arms. Although grace is offered to us, church, it's up to us to embrace it. It's up to us to lean on the everlasting arms of God. But in order to truly embrace grace, you need to let go of your crippled past. You need to abandon a crippled life. If you think about it, Mephibosheth's feet had been crippled, yes. But his whole life had been crippled as well, right? And he he could have let bitterness keep him in that place of Lodabar. He could have let bitterness keep him in a a destitute place, blaming David for all that had happened to him. He, He could have let fear keep him in Lodabar. After all, he knew David was a bloody man. He's a warrior. That could be my life. But understand, God gives grace because ultimately his desire for you and I is that we would trade our past for his presence. We would trade our past for his presence. What a trade. And that's a good trade, right? And so I want to encourage you, let go of your crippled past and take hold of the grace of God. Live into it and lean into it. Abandon a crippled mentality. For Mephibosheth, his handicap and his past, I'm sure it kept him feeling worthless and useless. You know, one of the great insults of that time was to refer to someone as a dog, right? And he, he doesn't just refer to himself as a dog. It's worse than that. He calls himself a dead dog, right? Who am I that you would remember this dead dog? And I can't help but think how transforming it must have been for him to realize now that he had value in the eyes of the king. See, when you awaken to the reality of God's grace, you understand that he finds you precious, that you are are valuable to him. I want to tell you, it will drive out that crippled mentality. And I believe this, that grace is where you discover who you were actually born to be. As a child, Mephibosheth knew where he came from, and I wonder if he pretended at times, made pretend that he was in the palace, right? If he thought about what it would have been like to be the royalty that he was born to be. But I'm sure with time, those dreams died. Time had taken those dreams away. And yet here he is. He finds himself in the palace once again. And David looks down on him and restores him to his place in the palace. You know, the word of God makes it clear that we were born to be royalty, right? We were born to be royalty in the kingdom of God. 
sin has crippled mankind. It's, it's brought us to a destitute place. It's brought our world to a place like Lodabar, right? A, a place that is a destitute, barren place. But grace is where you discover who you were born to be. Because grace puts you in the right place with God. And I want to tell you this, it is an intimate place. It's an intimate place. Think about Mephibosheth's place. He wasn't just given a position of royalty. He was given a position of family. Verse 11 says he was like one of the king's sons. Understand, God's grace doesn't just make us his servants or his royal priesthood or his friends. We are just kind of a friend of God. But no, it's more than that. We are called sons and daughters of God. And so God calls us by his grace into this intimate place. It's a place of fellowship. Think about it. Sitting at the king's table, Mephibosheth knew he always had the king's ear. He could always go to the king with whatever concerned him because he had a seat at the table. And when you receive the grace of Jesus Christ, you have a place at the table. But all you have to do is embrace his grace. And not only is it an intimate place, but it's a perpetual place. David makes it very clear. This wasn't a short-term deal. You know, Mephibosheth, you can stay here for the next month, right? That's, that's not what he said. He said, this is going to be continually forever. You shall always eat at my table. See, as long as David sat on the throne, Mephibosheth would never have to worry about anyone taking his royal seat away. And, and as long as God is on the throne, which is forever, right? We never have to worry about anyone taking our royal seat away. Romans 8.35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? It says this, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen? Church, we have God's provision anytime we need it, day and night. We have His provision eternally because of grace. And, and grace is where you embrace God's favor at His Son's expense. Mephibosheth wasn't receiving grace on the basis of what he had done. It was actually on the basis of what Jonathan, his father, had done. You know the story, right? Jonathan and David were, were best friends. Jonathan loved David so much that he protected him from his father's soul's wrath. And he, he actually supported his ascension to the throne, right? Jonathan said, you know what? You're the one that's anointed to be king. He supported his ascension to the throne. And so verse 7, David says, I'm going to show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. David was gracious to Mephibosheth for the sake of another, Jonathan. And God is gracious to us for the sake of another. His name is Jesus. We are, we are not receiving God's favor on the grounds of our own goodness or our own works, but on the basis of the work of Jesus Christ. Again, grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. By grace today, we don't live in our own achievement. We live in the achievement of another. Mephibosheth lived in the grace that his father paid the price for. I don't know how many of you remember the movie. This going back a little bit. The movie, The Last Emperor. Anybody remember that movie? 
you know, it was about a, a young child who was the last emperor of China, and he lived this magical life of, of luxury, thousands of servants at his command. And his brother asked him what they what happens when you do wrong, and he says, when I do wrong, someone else is punished. And he takes a jar and he breaks it, right? And some of the other servants are beaten for what he did. Can I just tell you, Jesus Christ reverses this pattern. When the servants err, the king is punished. Isaiah 53, verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. And yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We turned everyone to his own way. Jesus. 
sin of the past to define how you live today. And so I want to tell you, you can just move into grace this morning. As we close with a song, if you want to just come to these altars, we love to just pray for you. Pastors, elders, leaders, just come and lay a hand upon you. We want to pray that God's grace would empower you to live as he's called you to live. So wherever you're at today, I think we could all say, I'm in need of God's grace. Maybe you would say, I I need God's grace to overflow a little bit in my life. I don't want to just receive grace, but I want to be, I want to be a vessel of grace to those who need it. Amen. And so as we close with a song, feel free to move out from where you are. We would be honored to just lay a hand on you and just pray for you today that God's grace would